Hey there, adventurers. Welcome back to another episode of The Drunk DM's Demystified Survival Guide. I am Brendan, the Drunk DM, and today we're going to be doing a bit of a throwback episode where it's just me in my den with a microphone spilling some hot tips and tricks for new and old DMs to use in their games. This episode is going to center around one of my favorite topics, villains. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're doing we're doing this one in two parts, likely, um, maybe three, depending on, on how long these all take. But we're going to talk about different types of villains, how you choose a villain for your specific game type. Um, we're going to be talking a lot about uh, what what kind of story you're trying to tell and what villain is conducive to that story. So first we're going to talk about one-off villains, which I'm calling like episodic villains. Um, episodic being a call to uh, the, the plot style of an episodic story. Uh, we'll get into more of that later, but then after this episode, I'm going to be doing another one about uh, what we in the hobby fondly refer to as big bads or uh, as I am going to call them, linear villains. You might also hear people say the BBEG of your game, which is just an acronym for Big Bad Evil Guy, <laughs> which is, is a lot of fun. But before we get into all of that, we have to talk alcoholic beverages. And today's drink is another cocktail that is a classic and one of my favorites, the Manhattan. I chose this drink because it reminds me of like a Bond villain, you know, like you just see him monologuing, spilling everything about his plan while he's mixing up a Manhattan at his fancy schmancy bar. This is the very first drink that I ever made myself. And if you're new to cocktail making, this is one that I would recommend because it's pretty simple, but it uh, unpacks a whole lot of flavor and complexity and awesomeness, I guess. And yeah, so the recipe is two parts rye whiskey. Um, my favorite is Rittenhouse, mainly because it's affordable and also high quality and also bottled in bond, which means there's a lot more restrictions in the making of it, which means that you usually get a better product. Second part is one part sweet vermouth. You can pretty much use any. I, I usually go for the Dolan. It's like mid, mid shelf, maybe mid to top. Probably going to be out like $18 a bottle for that. Uh, it's not too bad. Um, and then a few dashes of bitters. I prefer chocolate bitters for this. It gives a chocolate covered cherry sort of steeze to the whole thing. But classically, you see it made with Angostura bitters. I've also used orange bitters, which actually had a pretty interesting take on it. Really, bitters are just the seasoning of your cocktail. So however you choose to season it is, you know, it, that that's your signature, kind of. Um, but yeah, so you take all of those parts, throw it all into a mixing glass full of ice, give it a few twirls in there until your mixing glass, like, feels feels really cold on your fingers. Um, you don't want to do it too much because uh, you want to keep all the flavors a little bit separate. But then after that, you strain it all into a glass. Hashtag not a shaken drink. Um, and then for me, the most necessary part of the drink is to take a big old maraschino cherry that's like soaked in whatever the hell juice is in that jar they come in. Syrup or, or like cherry sugar juice. I don't know, but it rocks. Uh, anyway, grab that cherry by the stem, swirl it around the drink, and you are GTG. Now, not everyone is so cherry inclined, but personally, I just, I can't even if there's no cherry. So do with that what you will. Either way, it is delicious. 
complex and the flavors just like wrestle each other as you drink uh, especially if you swirl that cherry in there because then you get more cherry on some sips less on others and you kind of explore the flavors in a different way it's just wonderful anyway i'll stop talking about the manhattans i, I could i could have a whole podcast about how much i love the art of cocktail making and this is this one this is one that kind of grabs my uh, grabs my fascination so anyway let's talk some about villains. How to create cool, interesting, relatable, and terrifying ones for your game. So where do we start? So first of all, the way the way I like to approach this is, uh, wh- how's your game run? What is the plot of your game? Do you, do you want uh, new adventures every week with the same characters? Kind of saving this village over here and then running over to this side and, and taking out a bugbear in a cave or running over here and then slaying a dragon. That is one type of plot that you can use for your game. Another is, are you centered around one conflict? Is there one big bad evil guy who's tearing shit up in your world and the party needs to amass power or collect the infinity stones before the villain? So you need you need to determine that first. Um, here, we're going to be talking mainly about that first first example I gave where it's episodic every session you have something new coming at your players and then later we'll talk about the more linear plot line what is the conflict of your game you got to ask yourself what is what is the big problem that your characters are facing stories just don't work without conflict people don't work without conflict for that matter so what's the matter what's the matter in your game if your problems are episodic then this is the episode to listen to and i'll I'll unpack that episodic thing a little bit more here what i really mean is do your pcs take care of one problem and then a second unrelated problem happens and now that is the big issue in this my classic example is homer's the odyssey odysseus and his crew land on the island of the Lotus Eaters and have to deal with that. And then they have to deal with the Cyclops. And then Odysseus loses a bunch of ships and then Circe straight up turns a bunch of them into pigs. And each problem is this little self-contained episode, kind of like a TV show. And with, with the Odyssey, even though each problem is self-contained, Odysseus and his crew are the common through line, just like your party is the common through line for your story. In an episodic campaign like this, you may find yourself having to introduce new villains each time you plan the next conflict. Um, In this style, your villain will likely be born out of the conflict. It'd be easier just to give you an example. So let's take a look at the Cyclops Polyphemus in the Odyssey. I don't know if I'm saying that right. I think I am. So if we're DMing this portion of the Odyssey, we likely know that the party is setting sail and we want to give them some challenge to overcome on their way to their goal. In a situation like this, the Monster Manual, Volo's Guide to Monsters, um, Mordenkainen's Tome of Foes, whatever bestiary you're using for your game is a great place to turn to for inspiration. Any monster in those books is a good fit to be a villain, depending on how you use them. So for the sake of this, let's say we're flipping through a monster manual, we fall in the sea portion of the book and land on Cyclops. Okay, Cyclops are dope. They're awesome. Um, And so let's just use that as a villain for this session. At this point, start making a backstory for your villain. You know he's a Cyclops, or for your game, it might be a bandit leader or lich or whatever you're using. But 
who actually are they? Uh, this doesn't have to be anything grand or ingenious, just block out enough so that you can find some of the motivation behind the character. Some of the best villains are those we can relate to. This is your chance to relate to your villain. For poor old Polyphemus, we block out a backstory where he exists in a land with others of his kind, but he's a bit of an outsider, busy with tending his sheep and making the best of a solitary life. It's a pretty basic backstory and doesn't exactly lend itself to creating a nefarious character. In fact, it seems quite normal, but that's what makes it so great. We can start empathizing with them. Who doesn't know someone who is just like working the land or just, you know, doing their hustle, to just live peacefully, be their own cyclops, that sort of deal. Um, it almost makes him likable. And I, I use air quotes around likable because ultimately we want to hate this person. Whenever I reread this section of the Odyssey, I'm always left with this sense of sadness for Polyphemus uh, because his livelihood is being stolen, his home gets wrecked, and ultimately the things that were going to be his delicious meal blind him and escape. It's it's not necessary for your villains to be relatable. I like to think of like Darth Vader before the prequels happened. Just if if you looked at the original trilogy of Star Wars alone separate from everything else, Darth Vader is kind of this like dark unknown being we don't really relate to him we're just terrified of him later on in the movies we we learn a bit more about him and he becomes relatable but like that first scene where he's stepping out of the mist with his red lightsaber you're just like oh my gosh this guy is powerful this guy is scary and sometimes that works really well but i find more often than not creating some sort of relatable quality in your villains just makes for a more complex layered and interesting game much like manhattan so like i said earlier you want to eventually hate these people. So you need to find a goal for your villain. Is your lich stealing souls to revive a lost lover? Or it could be something simple. Maybe your village butcher is fixated on punishing the blacksmith for marrying his daughter behind his back. You just need, need some sort of goal for your villain. Uh, whatever it is, it must be clear and they must want it very badly. You don't want your villain to have a blase like, well, I wish I was immortal, but I don't really care. No, they, they need it, right? Um, you don't want your party walking up to the villain and saying, hey buddy, do you really need it that bad? And your villain going, well, you know, actually I don't. And it becomes like a Care Bears episode where you just solve everything with friendship, which might be what you want. Who knows? But um, for, for the type of game I'm talking about, you want your villain to want its goal badly. Um, our Cyclops wants one thing over all else, and that's to eat the flesh of humans. Because let's face it, we're delicious. So once you set up your goal, your next task is planning how the villain crosses paths with your heroes. Crossing paths doesn't necessarily mean that they actually meet face to face. Personally, in my games, I like to make my villains affect the party from out of sight as sort of a looming threat in the distance to be sought out and defeated as opposed to fighting the party outright. But you can have a villain that actively seeks the party out or even just stumbles upon the party while they're doing something unrelated. In our example, we have a Cyclops Shepherd 
in a remote land and a seafaring party. And at this point, you might think about revisiting the backstory and linking it into the story of your players a little bit. But no, we are Homer and we do not make mistakes. So how are we going to get these two entities to cross paths? This really can be anything for your campaign. For, for this one, let's say their provisions are running low and they need to find somewhere to restock. Um, the closest place to them is the land of Cyclops, and boom, no fuss, no muss. Your party needs to get there, they go there, they find the supplies they need in a cave that just happens to be the Cyclops' home. I find it's completely fine to nudge your party to these sorts of encounters because it directly drives the plot of the story that you're all trying to tell. Do not nudge too often. I find a lot of times it's easier to figure out kind of the the party's plan for the next session before setting up what they're going to be encountering. Just because if you already have the encounter planned out ahead of time and you're just nudging them constantly to where it is, then it's definitely going to feel like you're railroading. So don't nudge too often. I would recommend setting it up around the players as opposed to putting it somewhere and forcing your players over there just a just a little pro tip because the main the main reason i say this is because parties are extremely unpredictable uh you you never know what your adventurers are going to do when you sit down at every session um so you need to be very flexible nudging is fine sometimes but maybe your party doesn't even get there the session that you planned it to happen and you need to make up an island where your party can just get high on flowers and chill for a while before getting to your planned villain. Needless to say, the crossing paths portion of creating a good villain encounter is very loose and it varies game to game. So find what works for you and your table and uh, get that hero and that villain to meet, baby. Okay, so let's say let's say they do. Let's say your heroes and your villains meet however you, however you try to make that happen, they meet. Now what? Now you have to design your encounter. So our Cyclops does have some cunning, so perhaps you try to pass him off as a friendly NPC who tricks the party into entering his cave. But remember that your villain has a goal, and this guy's goal is to eat humans. So once the party is trapped, he starts chowing down. And now this monster's rating is clearly too high for the party, so they have to outthink him to take him out. For encounters like this, monster stat blocks are an awesome starting point to determine how it will all shake out. For this encounter, the Cyclops has a high enough intelligence to carry out some simple deception, but he excels in having a crap ton of hit points and a hell of a bite attack. So we structure the encounter around that. But you can do this with anything. A, a goblin king might make use of guerrilla tactics, right? Sending goblins in to attack and then using their cunning actions to disengage and run away. A bandit captain might use archers and ambushes to attack the party since they have, I, I believe they have some sort of stealth bonus. So so taking a look at stat blocks, re recently in my campaign, one of the, one of the kind of one-off episodic villains was an elder brain with extremely high intelligence. So, you know, it, it attacked the player's psyche and they had to uh, think their way around that. Also, with this, you can lean on thematics. I, found, I find that thematics are extremely effective. 
So uh, an evil king, right? Let, let's think of an evil king for a second. In movies and, and stories, a lot of times they use diplomacy and manipulation to get what they want. So maybe your evil king invites the party to his table where he proceeds to poison them. So just really leaning into the archetypes of monsters can also give you quite a bit of inspiration as well. And, and remember with your encounters that they're often just the means by which the villain tries to either get what they want or to keep the party from interfering with their plans. So once you know that, all you have to ask yourself is how would my villain go about doing that? Now let's talk specifically about your episodic villains, right? You want their plans to be thwartable within the confines of, of one or two sessions. This kind of campaign does not easily facilitate villains with long, drawn-out plans or villains who try to manipulate the party or anything like that. It shouldn't be that a cult has begun gathering components for a ritual and you need to hinder their process, or the necromancer is building a device to raise the dead. Instead, the cult's ritual is happening today and the party needs to stop it or the necromancer is snatching bodies right now, and they need to go to the graveyard and keep him from it. The Cyclops isn't wandering the countryside looking for humans to cook. The party doesn't need to track him down and, and, and find out where he's been and, and what he's done. The party's on the menu tonight. The problem needs to be solved right now. So so keep that in mind. Otherwise, you could take your episodic plotline and, and stretch it out into a linear kind of campaign, which is not a problem. Reoccurring villains are super fun to run, but that's not what this episode is about right now. <laughs> Why run a campaign like this? What, why would you want to keep changing up the problems on your party? Why would you want to tell a story like this? First of all, it's just straight up exciting, right? It's fast paced. Like I said, problems happen all the time and they need to be solved right now. So the players get to be sort of like this Justice League or Avengers style entity swooping in to solve the world's problems at the last second and getting praise for their many feats. It isn't always, but it can be a much more lighthearted game. The stakes are generally lower because it's it's difficult to thwart a world-ending problem in one session. So so usually you're going to be saving a city or a town or a person in, in this type of game. And the rewards are generally higher. This kind of play lends itself a lot better to like a mercenary style group that gets hired out to solve a problem, like, like The Witcher or something like that. But personally, for me, the best reason why episodic storytelling is so much fun to play through is that we learn an extreme amount about the PCs individually. It's not so much about the world story or the overarching plot, and it's more about the individual issues of the PCs themselves. It's centered directly around them, and we get to see how they use their many abilities to solve a wide variety of problems. It moves away from this idea of like amassing power against a huge threat and into a realm of exploring what the characters are capable of right now. There's no preparation for something larger, it's reacting and acting in the moment. Ultimately, it can be extremely satisfying and a blast to play this kind of campaign. It is arguably more work for DMs, however, because they need to keep inventing fun and interesting and new problems every session. But as DMs, one of my favorite things is uh, watching my players feel that sense of accomplishment when they solve a task. And in this, you get that 
pretty much every week. In a linear campaign, yes, there's obstacles that they overcome, but the big looming threat is still on the horizon. And it can easily fall into this feeling of, yeah, sure, we took out a lieutenant, but the big bad evil guy is still out there waiting to crush us. So we need to keep going. Which, in my opinion, I, I would probably rather play in that campaign just because I, I just like that feeling of, of uh, tension. I, I like prolonging that tension so that when the end comes, it's like this big finale and we accomplish something massive. And, and that's, that's just my style of play. But this style is also very fun. And I've seen it done extremely well and it just looks like a blast. So I, I know this kind of went from talking about villains to talking about styles of play, but bear in mind that the villains you use should change as your style changes, which is why next episode we're going to be moving into the exciting world of linear plots and how that demands something quite different from your villains. All right, and now I am going to go back through and uh, right here on mic, try to create a new villain that has never been seen before. This part is unscripted. I'm just gonna, just got the monster manual to help me along here, so bear with me. So let's say we've reviewed our campaign. We reviewed the type of plot that we want to convey and we land on an episodic sort of, sort of steez. We want this to be a one-off villain, something that could, you know, be solved in a session, maybe two. We'll, we'll bear that in mind as we go through. So the first step is to find our villain type. Um, if you have a good idea for one, like just use that. You don't need to flip through a, a manual or anything. But for me, I'm, I'm running short on inspiration. So I'm gonna go through the monster manual, just kind of pick a random page. All right, I opened up to the Kenku. If you are unfamiliar with Kenku, they are anthropomorphized sort of crow people. Um, with no wings. Looking at their stat block first, I see that they're pretty baseline and everything except for decks. So they have higher decks that would lend to them being a bit more stealthy, perhaps thieves, robbers, that sort of that sort of deal. And they also have ambusher ability. Um, so in the first round of combat, the Kenku has advantage on attack rolls against any creature that's surprised. So looking at this, I can kind of see them being a bit of like a bandit, almost ambusher type of type of villain. And and with this, the challenge rating is pretty low at one fourth. So I would probably not have one singular villain in this instance, but perhaps a, a tribe or a group of Kanku that are causing a problem. Going through some of the the other information that is found on the page, I'm not reading this because I, I I'm a nerd and I've already read it and I kind of know the whole the Kanku whole whole deal first off their their speech is in pantomime so they mimic and that that's the way that they talk so they've heard somebody say hello so now they know how to say hello they're also wingless and flightless the reason being is a master of the kanku at some point in history stripped the kanku of their ability to fly and ever since then they've been looking for a way to once again reclaim the skies and that's that's a, a motivation that's just baked right into the monster which is one of the things you love to see when you're planning out encounters. For for Kenku, usually in my worlds, I, I like to put Kenkus up in trees, uh, having sort of like a, a treehouse society, uh, since it gets them off the ground and puts them in this 
weird purgatory between ground and sky, which is, is better than the ground, but they're still reaching upward. So going back into their motivation, we already have some of a backstory with these guys. They've lost their wings. They want to fly again. They're probably a bit of a bandit society scrounging off of people who pass through their forest. And now we need to locate a goal for them. For this, I, I definitely still want to center it around the flightless uh, thing. And say in our world, our Kenku live near a gnomish village. Um, gnomes being known for their tinkering. Perhaps they're trying to steal some of their technology for a flying machine that they can use to once again soar above the canopy. Periodically, these Kanku go into the gnomish village and use ambush tactics to raid their mechanical shops and things and steal that and bring it back to, to their home to try to recreate whatever they're making. Uh, now the gnomes find this to be extremely difficult to deal with, so they send out for a group of people who can go fix their problem for them. This is, this is where the party would come in. Perhaps the gnomes have put up flyers in all the surrounding towns saying we need help with this or perhaps the party just starts in the gnomish village and they recounted this plight by someone in a bar or something similar to that again crossing paths is going to change depending on on where your party is currently in your campaign if you're starting out your campaign i would just put your party in the center of conflict it's the easiest way to do it it jumps over all of the well maybe we should go here or maybe we should go there or what if we what if we need to stock up on supplies it just cuts all of that out drops the party right in the middle of the action and they can have fun solving a problem right away for this let's just put them in the gnomish village right off the bat they're told the tale of the kankus and the party goes out to investigate now this is where your encounters can go a lot of different ways if you really want to lean into the ambush side of things perhaps the party gets ambushed before they even make it to the kanku village if you're lucky your party survives and and they press forward but knowing that the kanku are a bit of a dangerous foe i i kind of like this idea that they try to form some sort of relationship between the kanku and the gnomes likely your party's just going to run in and, and try to kill everything in the village which at that point you know <laughs> you run your combat got to prepare for combat even if it, it might not happen but uh, eventually the problem will be solved and that's that's what's so great about sitting down at the table because you don't know how your party is going to solve it. it for for my idea of this i like to think of of having one sort of like mechanically inclined kanku who's a bit smarter than everyone else maybe you give him like a plus one or plus two to his intelligence modifier he could be a point of contact for your party to talk to and say why are you doing this how can we help you and the people that you're having problems with but set up a, a variety of ways to solve the problem i guess that's another point uh that's just good encounter building in general um not necessarily villain talk but you get the idea so now we now we have a villain for your next session you can use that one i'm 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 not going to use it so <laughs> so hopefully somebody will um but uh yeah that's where we're at um, we, we made a villain using this method. It's not, not too difficult, only took a couple minutes. 
Um, and now you can move on to another one and give your party options uh, of problems that they want to tackle in your game. Just really, really as simple as that. So if you like this episode, um, maybe head on back, listen to some of the old ones, um, wait around for this for this next villain episode to come on out. And, you know, the best place if you would like to support this show is to go to anchor.fm slash the drunk DM. That's where all of the episodes can be found. There's a little little spot where you can spend sponsor us if, if you feel so inclined and are in a position to do so it would be greatly appreciated for me would love to buy a new mic <laughs> and tell a friend yeah that's something i'm supposed to tell you to do anyway <laughs> wherever you are if if you have a glass uh, lying around with liquid in it you can certainly raise it to me because i'm raising mine to you may misfortune always follow you and never catch up cheers and happy dming it gives us this it gives it this really like chocolate covered carry sort of <laughs> chocolate covered carry <laughs> it's like it's like the the movie but instead of being covered in blood she's covered in chocolate i love that so much jesus